Hello, lovely people. How are you? I hope you're good. And thank you so much to everyone who has been in touch to say you're enjoying my latest novel. Do we really have to do this? I am so pleased. I love that you're enjoying meeting the people of Strawberry Village and the Getaway to Lemon Cove. Will Iris and Jack find happiness? Well, you're just going to have to keep reading to find out. I'm also pleased, though, that Peggy and her wisdoms are helping you too. Now, speaking of wisdoms, let me introduce you to Joanne Mallon. Callings don't go away. There's something that's been in your life that is calling to you. You might as well give it some attention because it is not going to go anywhere. Joanne grew up through the troubles in Belfast. She then went on to work as a producer in television, working on shows like Vanessa This Morning and GMTV. But although she really enjoyed doing this, she wanted to do something with more depth and meaning. So she became a media career coach and now, after more than 20 years, is one of our most experienced coaches in the UK. Joanne also has her own podcast, Five Minutes to Change Your Life, and I personally love this podcast. It tackles all sorts of subjects like people-pleasing, negative thinking, and feeling out of control all in five minutes. She's also written eight books, including How to Find Calm in Five Minutes a Day. I mean, who can't find five minutes? So, in part two of this conversation, because I know you've got lots on at the moment, as the festive season is upon us, Joanne is the perfect person to give some wonderful tips about how we can all keep our peace in this wonderful but often very frazzled time of year. Joanne believes if you have something in life you love that deep down you feel is your calling we should all be kind enough to ourselves to give it a go. It's not only for our sakes but for all the people around us too. Hello and welcome to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to author, I speak with some incredible people who've already started their next chapter in the hope it might help you with your next chapter. Or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here she is, Joanne Mallon. Joanne Mallon, welcome to The Next Chapter. It's a rainy Monday morning, but I cannot think of a better way to start the week. So thank you very much indeed. Lovely to be here, Ellie. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, brilliant. So look, we'll start straight away because your book that you've um, that's out now, I think it's just everybody needs, particularly at the moment. So I thought it would be great to do like a Christmas special as such. But before we get to that, we start as ever with the prologue. So you grew up in Belfast, Joanne. And it's, what kind of childhood did you have? Well, I was born in Belfast. If you ever actually, if you've seen the film Belfast, you know, the Kenneth Branagh film? Yeah. At the end of that, his family leaves because the troubles which are starting to kick off. Now, that's the point at which I was born when it was just kicking off. So I grew up in the middle of the worst of the troubles in Northern Ireland, living in West Belfast, right in the middle of it. And really, at the time, you just got on with it. You just lived your, your normal life. You know, Irish people have an awful lot of humour. We're very practical, down to earth. So, you know, you 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 got on with your life. But in retrospect, I think I can see and I know anybody else who lived through it can see it was hell. Mm. It was a war zone. It was daily bombings, bomb scares, shootings. You know, I would get up and and go out to school and there'd be um, a foot patrol of armed soldiers um, walking through uh, down down my street. You know, that that would be kind of what you'd walk past going to to school in the morning. Mm. So in retrospect, it was horrendous. But at the time, you just kind of got through it as best you could. Mm. And that must have been... And do, do you have brothers and sisters, Joanne? Uh, well, that, that, that's another part of, part of my story. I had one younger brother. My family situation was basically... There was my, my parents, me, my younger brother. My parents did not get on, to put it mildly, and later separated and divorced. My brother, sadly, was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. Mm. Um, which is a degenerative uh, muscle wasting um, condition, which um, leads to quite a short life expectancy. So um, if anybody has ever experienced or knows of having a child in your family with a life limiting condition, um, I mean, it's just awful. I think Mm -hmm. it's one of the worst, most stressful things that anybody could live through. So my family situation, although there was a lot of love, there was a lot of pain as well. Mm, 
Mm. And then to have that, I'm so sorry to hear that. And then to have that with all that, the, the trauma around you as well, that must have been, you just must have been living in this, perhaps not even realising it, in this constant state of, well, of, of trauma, really. Absolutely. But you can only really see it now. I mean, I find it quite interesting that if you look around now, there's lots of novels, artworks, all kinds of interesting things coming out of people of my generation and older and a bit younger who lived through it but it's taken till now for that to happen it wasn't like you had the good friday agreement and peace happened and suddenly we're all writing novels about it it's actually taken a generation for people to process the horror and the trauma that 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 we went through i mean even me calling it a war now that's quite a political label to put on it mm-hmm. that people at the time wouldn't have done or you would have kind of shied away from it um but yeah I mean you know it was kind of daily danger but but you just um you got through it I'll tell you one uh thing that happened Ellie so my granny worked in a pub in the centre of Belfast and one day a fella comes in with a cardboard box and he put it on the bar and he said to my granny right missus everybody's got half an hour to get out because there was a bomb in this box and so my granny, she did get everybody out. You know, no, nobody died that day. She was all right. But the thing that annoyed her was when she'd got to, to work that day behind the bar, she'd taken off her good outdoor shoes and changed into some slippers to work behind the bar. So in all the chaos of leaving because because of the bomb in a box that was on the bar, she lost her good shoes. Oh. And my granny for years and years would complain about the fact that she lost these good shoes. Never complained about the fact that she nearly lost her life and that it was highly <laughs> stressful and it was a terrible trauma thing to happen. No, she was really, really miffed about losing these good shoes. And that's a very kind of Northern Iron way to approach these things. You know, you kind of focus on the wee tiny detail and, and the, the part of it that, that makes sense to you. And the rest of it was just too much. You just couldn't really take it in. No. Did she ever get another pair of new shoes or good shoes? I mean, she must have done, but she was a very practical kind of person. <laughs> you know, she, she was uh, very much uh, sort of keeping things for best, I, th- I think, is is probably uh, quite a common thing in, in uh, my granny's and older generation. I mean, I'm the complete opposite. I don't keep anything for best. You know, mm-hmm. if I have something nice, I'll, I'll um, wear it every single day you know I know you can't see me but I'm wearing my best lipstick today which I do every day (laughs) granny auntie my mom all those generations they were like lipsticks for going out only and only going out in certain circumstances you know it's a a completely different um attitude isn't it yeah it is and I'm with you I think we should just enjoy as much as we can on the days that we can but also I'm just really in awe of her putting on her slippers I think that's a really good idea I never would have thought of that to work behind a bar so I think that's really it was very practical at least anyway but um and and at school Joanne what were you like at school were you I mean were you into I mean obviously you went into TV first of all so were you did you have any interest in that then or is that that something that's that slowly came around I hated school. I hated every single minute of it. I didn't mind my primary school so much. That was all right. But then I went to this um, secondary school. It was a convent grammar school run by nuns on the front of the Falls Road in Belfast. So you literally had to pick your way through burning vehicles and all kinds of God knows what to get to this place. And I just really disliked it. It kind of, if you've seen Dairy Girls, mm-hmm. very similar to that kind of school. And the, the, the nuns were just... Um, just really stern and unfeeling and unpleasant and didn't seem to like any of the girls that that they were teaching. Um, So I I just really was unhappy and disliked it. I mean, I still, I loved learning. I I love learning to to this day. You know, I've Mm. I've been doing my my Duolingo uh, German language lesson this morning before I speak to you. I I still learn all the time, but I really, really hated school. So as soon as I got a few exams behind me, I actually left school when I was 17. Right. And I went to work in the civil service. And it was kind of for me, it wasn't that I had some big notion that I wanted to um, work in, in the civil service. It was that I just wanted to leave school and, and get away. And I did have dreams of working in something creative, something media, didn't quite know what. But I didn't know anybody who worked in that world at all. I, I had no kind of blueprint to be. I just had vague kind of dreams of things I wanted to do. But equally, 
I thought they were impossible dreams that would never, ever happen. So I was just in this really boring, grey office job with not enough to do. And it was, it was super tedious. I and mean, you'd have things like, because um, I was in the city centre, there, there was regular bomb scares where you would get evacuated. And, and that was actually quite a highlight of the day because it got you out of the office. You know, when there's a bomb scare, we'd all go and sit in the pub and somebody would have to go back every hour to check if the office was was open again. Mm. Um, but anyway, so as, as I was doing this job, I still was trying to get involved in writing something, something creative. So I would enter competitions. I would put myself forward for things. I, I just remember the first published piece of writing I had was on CFAX. Do you remember CFAX? Yes, yes. Pre-internet, it was kind of this very slow information that would come up um, on your telly. And I saw a thing that they were looking for people to review records. So I put myself forward and it was so thrilling because I love music still. And I got to write about these records and I got to keep the records, wow. you know, and I thought three records. Amazing. So I was doing that and I was doing um, classes in the evening, writing classes, stuff like that. And through doing all of this, I ended up um, getting involved in reviewing arts and culture for a BBC Radio Ulster youth programme that was on in the evening. So it's the sort of thing where they were just open to anybody who wanted to rock up and talk about music or books or whatever they liked. So I started doing this and getting paid for it, which was really exciting. So I, ha- I have a very strong memory of sitting in the reception of BBC Ulster um, in the middle of Belfast and looking up at this very high ceiling and looking around me at all the busy people with their folders and thinking, God, I'm, I'm in this world. I've been invited to be here and I'm getting paid to be here. This is it really kind of opened up a possibility to me that actually I, I was already um, involved in media, arts, culture in, in some way. And maybe this was something I could do. But I also recognised in that moment that it was very likely that everybody working there would have a degree. And I didn't even have A-levels because I'd left school at 17. Mm. So then it was quite a long process where I went to Belfast Tech, did my A-levels at night class over a number of years, applied to university. And then eventually, when I was 22, I ended up in Liverpool University and did a degree in English and communications and then from there I went to Cardiff which I'm sure you'll know Cardiff Journalism School is incredibly well known Um, it's one of the top postgrad courses that you can do Mm. so I did that then so eventually I got to there and by, by that time I'd kind of become more focused in what I wanted to do and I really fancied working behind the scenes on TV in research and and production so from going to Cardiff which when you do a good course it's a really good calling card from there I was off to um, working in television as a researcher and then a producer so my first job after Cardiff was in Norwich I worked for Anglia TV for a while mm. on the Vanessa show, yeah. the time, the place. I sort of went into a bit of a ghetto of a lot of chat shows and a lot of um, daytime and morning stuff. I did a year on this morning. I did a lot of work with GMTV as as a probably where we, we cross over a bit. Maybe we um, do. I, I did a lot of night shifts. I don't know if you ever did many night shifts because yeah. as a freelancer, the staff always took their leave when they were due to do night shifts mm. because I had a young child at that time. It suited me quite well to do night shifts because you could kind of work it around things. Okay, yeah, I was definitely there and I used to do night shifts because I was a runner then. So we used to do those long, long night shifts. But they were quite exciting because that's when you actually went on air as well. So and did you did you enjoy it, Joanne? Did you enjoy the work of work? I mean, that, that's a, a real collection of programmes there. So Vanessa, The Time, The Place, This Morning, GMTV, you know, uh, the GMTV in this morning live television like that I mean did you did you enjoy it like you thought you would I I enjoyed some of it um and some not so much I did enjoy GMTV um a lot because it's the kind of program as you know anything that's happening whatever is big that's happening in the world that day will be covered and so you work with all kinds of interesting people from the very serious to the very silly. I think one of the last stories that I worked on there, I remember I was um, I was assigned to look after this slot that was about a ferret playing snooker. 
And <laughs> so, so I was looking after and it was it was quite a serious news correspondent that had been given this story. OK, now you will know about behind the scenes politics of these things. This guy was really, really hacked off to have been given the ferret playing snooker story. I reckon he must have. He must have annoyed somebody in the higher ups that they'd given him this really <laughs> daft story. And then I remember him ringing, ringing me up. It was meant to be on at 8, 8 a.m. He rang me up. He said, Joanne, the ferret's fallen asleep. It's asleep <laughs> on the snooker table. We don't have a, 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 have a, a ferret playing snooker. We just have a ferret that's asleep. And he was delighted because then he didn't want to have to be on screen presenting this. No. So, so we had to pull the story. It never appeared because the ferret fe- pe- fell asleep. And then I put the phone down. I just remember thinking, holy Christ, what am I doing here? Yeah, this is- <laughs> what am I putting my creative energy into this <laughs> daft, daft business? Because oh. um, I had reached a point where I wanted to do something um, uh, just a, a bit deeper, a bit sort of making more of a positive difference in the world. I mean, there were nice those programs, but you know what it's like with mm. live TV. It's a, it's a sausage factory and, yeah. and you're just you're you're putting together the best you can do on on the day when it's live and and you know it it doesn't impact people in a deep way it can do sometimes and i think providing entertainment and giving people a lift is a fantastic thing to do but i just felt for me i i thought you know I want to put my energy into something that's more long lasting that's not gone in two minutes and that doesn't involve ferrets playing snooker I mean, there is that as well. And and also, like you say, it is exhausting. Also, at that eight o'clock slot, that's like a really big slot. So that must, that would have been like, I can, oh, I can just imagine the stress around all of that as well. And all because of the ferret. Do you think he really did fall asleep, Joanne? Or do you think they said that, so they said that he did so that they didn't have to do the piece? I don't know. Who knows? There could have been an element of that, and yeah. I know this correspondent d- did not want to be uh, the guy fronting it. You know, he, you know, you always get somebody who's got, got ambitions of of uh, reading the news, presenting news yeah. night, sort of something like that. They, yeah. they, they don't want to be in in the in the, the ferret uh, doesn't go with it. Ferret, does it? Ferret, <laughs> the ferret I mean, I love a ferret story like that. I mean, that's my kind of story. But anyway, that's an, that's another matter. So, so then, so then you moved to Brighton. Is that then when you moved to Brighton, Joanne? And um, and you had did you you had your daughter by this stage? Um, so then, is that so? Did you just then decide I'm going to leave television and and retrain as you, to become the coach that you are now? And how did you come about that? Well, what was happening was um, in the early 2000s, coaching was one of those things that it was nowhere and then it was everywhere. It was all over the papers. The Times gave away a free life coaching session to every reader. Um, It was in lots of magazines. It was just absolutely everywhere. And I just felt really drawn towards it. I I just was looking at it thinking, God, I I think this is my thing. And the way I think about it now, I think it's almost like your future self calling to you. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and, and I often coach people and we talk about them having callings callings don't go away if there's something that's been in your life that is calling to you you might as well give it some attention because it is not going to go anywhere mm. round about that time um, my grandfather passed away and I got left a bit of money that you know and I think when just money just kind of turns up in your life like that um, you want to do something important with it so I, I took that money and put it into a life coaching training course which is they're just brand new at the time and I thought well I'm going to explore this I didn't have any sense of oh this is going to be a whole big new career for me but I thought this this looks like the kind of thing that I'm looking for and I really enjoyed the course and I started to coach different people I've basically been doing it since then but I've never 100% just coached I kept up the TV work for a while. Um, I moved more into writing. So I was writing for some magazines, websites, um, stuff like that as well. And now we're up to now and I I, um, write books and things as well. But the first few years of coaching, I was just kind of playing with it and, um, you know, doing coaching sessions with whoever came along who was interested. And where I ended up, what I found to be my niche within coaching was actually working with people in media so I I coach a lot of television producers journalists authors broadcasters 
And they really like the fact that I understand their world quite deeply and I speak their language and I know it's, it's how stressful, exhausting, how it's the kind of workplace where the usual rules often don't apply. Um, so, yeah, so it's kind of all, all the earlier TV media work that that really supports my coaching now but I over time I move more into career coaching so I mostly just talk to people about their jobs but in the writing side side of things and also my podcast that that I do I guess that's more of a kind of life coaching um well-being type of thing but the, the, the thing that unites all of this is I'm very much about small practical changes that people can make that will make their lives better yeah yeah we'll come on to about your podcast because your podcast helps me such a lot joanne it really really does it's amazing but just before we get there so so when you say you're sort of coaching sort of producers and that is that is that uh like what we say and i obviously understand the world of television as well but so if somebody is a producer and they want to stay in it is it more that and they want to sort of thrive and they want to become you know a producer of a perhaps a bigger show or something like that or are you steering people away from the media or helping them change what kind it, it does or does it involve everything well i'm not steering them anywhere I, th- I think that's quite a key thing it's whatever the client comes with and it can include everything that you've just mentioned i've had um clients who are successful but there's other things that they want to do in their career i quite often get people who um want to leave media entirely or they want to take a sideways shift into something else i mean quite often people come along and they say "Well, well what do people do you know if they leave telly or whatever what do they actually do? And in my experience, they can do absolutely anything, but it's up to them. A lot of the conversation will be about finding out what per- what makes that person tick, what are their particular skills, what what are their values, you know, what's what's important to them in a job. Because even if you change the job that you do, the person that you are doesn't fundamentally change. So if you're somebody who likes to work alone, or you like to work in a team or you like to be creative, or you know what, what, whatever it is that is your your thing. Um, once you identify those ingredients, then you're looking at well, what is the recipe going to be that that will take you into? Mm. Um, and I, I do find that nowadays, I think it's quite quite an interesting time for people working in media because there's way more possibilities. When I worked in it, it was broadcast media only. You know, it was it was being on the telly, being on the radio. But now, of course, you've got social media um you've got um so many big companies and brands and particularly charities will have their own social media channels youtube channels all of that kind of stuff i'm finding it's really popular for people working in traditional broadcast uh, media often they want to move into the charity sector they probably similar to my own journey they're looking for something that feels like it's got a deeper meaning and is making a positive difference in the world more so than whatever they've been working for before did Mm. and it's interesting because you're absolutely right because in fact this is a conversation because my husband also he's a he's a television journalist and I I do I I work part-time and I I mean I do love what I do I work in regional news and I, I just love it but I have been at as you know you know at GMTV and at National and and it's just a different world. And I think it's very easy to, you get caught in these worlds thinking it is only this world. And the, the television world is quite a seductive world because you do have amazing experiences and you do, it is it is just, you know, it is fascinating. And I still think there's nothing quite like live television, but also that can be a little bit of a trap as well because you think there's absolutely nothing else out there. But like you say, now we live in such a different world and actually the TV world is often quite badly paid as well but but there is a whole world out there now that you can take those skills and do something that you're not leaving it all behind so actually it's it's actually very exciting so I can imagine a lot of the work that you do is is really rewarding yeah I mean it's wonderful what one of the things I really love actually is when somebody tells me about a dream that they have and you you can um, tell, you know, they can be quite surprised in themselves because it might be the first time that they've said something out loud mm. that's maybe lived in their head for years. But that is part of the journey towards 
anything becoming real. Absolutely everything that exists in the world was at some point a thought in somebody's head and it becomes a thought and then it's a word that you speak and then it's put on part on the journey to becoming an actual real thing that exists. So it's quite exciting to be there when somebody says out loud, I want to run my own company. I want to become a garden designer. I want to write a book. The book thing actually is brilliant. I've, I've had quite a few clients who you know, we had the conversation about how their dream is to write a book and I I've, I've support them through getting that going. And sometimes it's just quite practical things like, you know, come back to me in a month and, sh- and show me your your first two chapters that, that you've written. Um, but to actually see that journey happen and then eventually one day be holding that book in your hand and, and be um, with with the client on, on that journey when they actually have fulfilled um the thing that they wanted to do for maybe years and years and and some of my clients they've they've done so well because i think it's when you step into the thing that you were always meant to do that then the world does start start to support you and somehow you know it it, what was a dream that that you thought was impossible that was never going to happen Actually, actually, it, it, it does happen. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a lovely thing to experience. Mm. And absolutely. And this is obviously so this is the crux of this. What, you know, what I do here on this on this podcast on the next chapter. But something that comes up a, a lot, Joanne, and I, I'm, I'm wondering if you agree with this, is exactly what you're saying there, that often the root of a lot of the problems we had to, I'm, when my last guest was saying that she believes that Everybody does have a burning passion. There is something there, but it's just it's it's sometimes you're a bit afraid of it and you think, oh, I could never do that. Oh, yeah, but that's for someone else or it's too late. And there's all. But actually, if you can, if you can, like you say, just even say it out loud, if you're standing on your own and just say it out loud, that can really release so many you know, possibilities because, you know, why not? Why can't you do it? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think I, I would call it um, your purpose or your why. I, I, one of my books is called Find Your Why, and it is about finding your own purpose. And, and this is something that, um, you know, we, we do quite a lot in coaching. And it's amazing how people's purpose, when, once, you, once you start to really look at it, it will have been present through throughout their lives it, it will have been there um you know again and again even though we change and maybe the jobs that we do and, and what's going on in the surface changes the thing that drives you and the things that are important to you often don't really change um but absolutely as you're saying i think it's the, the practical stuff um makes often makes people assume that it's not achievable and you know you you can't ignore the fact that there's a cost of living crisis it's a hard world to um, make a living in these days but maybe you find your passion your purpose and um, maybe your day job is something that supports that and I, I think it's important that if there's been an idea, a passion, a something in your in your life, a thing that you love and a thing that brings you joy, then I think you have to be kind enough to yourself to give that thing space mm. in your life. Mm. A, 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 you know, allow it to be. Um, I, I sometimes in my previous book, this one's called How to Find Joy in in five minutes a day, and uh, one of the things that I talk about in that is just doing a joy audit make a list of the things that make you happy the things that bring you joy and then make a plan to do at least one of those things within the next week Mm, you're absolutely right it is being kind to yourself isn't it it's being kind to yourself but it's also being kind to other people around you because if you're doing something that you love and if you're happier that naturally that just it just radiates doesn't it well, it's, it's that classic thing of, of um, being reluctant to take care of ourselves, but really taking care of yourself is also taking care of everyone else around her. You know, there's, there's no prizes in this life for being a martyr and, and, you know, giving of yourself all the time. You have to fill up your own well in order to be able to give to other people. We've all got people that depend on us, friends, family, loved ones, colleagues you know everybody around us so if you if you lift yourself up in in some way if you make yourself happier more fulfilled more joyful everybody around you who depends on you they all benefit from that as well Joanne also on top of all this you you do have your podcast now I 
I love your podcast. Um, it, what's amazing about it is just it really is five or six minutes a day, and it's sort of how to. It's all about how you can change your lives, just but in this very small amount of time, which is fascinating. And I and it just it just reson it resonates with me, and I'm sure it resonates with lots of people who are listening. But things like your disgust, people pleasing, or how you feeling out of control or the one that that really helped me in particular was th- uh, thought looping and I have it a lot I do it a lot like constantly ruminating about the same negative thought all the time and how you step away I mean and so that the, obviously the idea is that you can some of these these things that we do that we don't even realize that we do that are keeping us trapped in the in in our own minds really and keeping us trapped in in situations that aren't really good for us you can break free but just with a very small amount of awareness and a small amount of time each day yeah i mean the podcast um grew out of a book i did a few years ago it was called change your life in five minutes a day and it wasn't the first book that i'd done but it just really seemed to strike a chord with people people really excited about this notion of things you could do in less than five minutes that would make a big difference because I think sometimes we assume that if you're going to make a big change in your life it's going to involve a a big effort from you and and, you know massive time sacrifice and and all the rest of it and I had been thinking for a while about doing doing a podcast um, and I've been listening to it and it kind of struck me that podcasts in general tend to be quite long these days Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you look at some of the American ones, they, they go on for like three hours. So yeah. if you want to take on listening to a new one, that's another huge chunk out of your life. And I thought it would be interesting to take some of the material from the book and, and the books I've done subsequently that are all about things you can do quickly and talk about those just within five minutes so I called the podcast five minutes to change your life and I guess the deal with the listener is if you listen for five minutes I'll give you something that will make a positive difference to you and I I always end it with um, either asking the, the listener a question or giving them something to think about I really do want to make a difference with people um i think it's quite an intimate thing listening to a, a podcast you know we, we tend to um we listen on headphones and and we've we've got often our headphones are right physically inside your ear so you are physically inside somebody's head right now whoever's listening and we listen to them by ourselves usually it's not like a tv thing that's broadcast to a whole group of people um, and it's quite special that intimacy, isn't isn't it? I, I think it's it's quite an opportunity. So I, I I just really try and give the listener something that will be positive and useful to them in in that moment that will maybe lift them in in that day. And uh, so I think a lot about as as you said the topics that we cover. I hope were the, the kind of things that maybe people are, are struggling with, maybe things that I've struggled with or, um, you know, think things that are in, in the books that just seem to have hit, hit nerve with people. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a challenge, but it's, it's a, you can do quite a lot in five minutes, I think. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I'm absolutely I mean, I'm conscious with my podcast now because I think, you know, um, the most people that listen to my podcast are, are women um, and they are busy and everyone is. I don't I don't really like it that oh, we're all so busy, but there's just a lot going on in life and especially at the stage in life that a lot of the women are at who do listen to this podcast. So I really um, I, I was curious to see like can she you know when I was listening to your podcast five minutes six minutes but what's amazing is because you can listen to podcasts and like you say it's very intimate and I listen to them when I'm running and it's a bit it is like a form of therapy in many many ways but you can also learn so much I know there's a man called Jim Quick that he says it can very quickly turn into shelf help because you listen and you think great but then actually then so much else goes on there's too much to take in and actually you're not really changing the way that you act which is how the change comes about but in those little five minute chunks like for example about the thought looping And you said, you know, just let you know, you're not your thoughts and just stand back and think, well, you know, almost look at it like a third person. What um, what am I doing here? If you keep going on about the same sort of negative thought, what is it that's really going on? And why am I doing this and sort of keeping myself stuck there? And then I find that really, you know, that I've since I've listened to that, which was a while ago. I, I genuinely do do that when I start doing this ruminating again. 
I, I do that and that's really helped. I mean, it's it's a game changer because you don't realise that when you're trapped in your negative thoughts, it just affects everything, your energy and everything that you're doing and the way you approach life. It, it's a real game changer. That's really lovely to hear, Ellie, that it really... Oh, it really did. home with you and has, has made a, a positive difference. That's exactly why I'm doing it. Um, I mean, I have to tell you, for, for me, because uh, I do, I think you can probably tell that I script the podcasts. It takes me days to think about, um, you know, what I'm going to say. I do a lot of walks in the park, chewing it over. That, that's my looping thoughts are kind of going over, over and over. What, what do I want to say? What do I want the listener to take away from it? Um, I, I don't just turn on the uh, microphone and, and waffle for five minutes. You know, it's mm. it's quite um, carefully thought about. It. And I have had several times where I've recorded one and then I've, I've thought about it some more. And I thought, no, I can do that better. And I'll, I'll go back and um, record it again. Um, but I, th- I think it's, it's a great way to um, just get messages out in a in a wider kind of way because obviously I as a coach there's only so many people I can work with one-to-one mm. um and then you know you produce books but there's only so many people are going to actually sit down and and read them um but I, th- I think the, the big potential with podcasts like this um like like any others is you can you can just connect with people everywhere yeah. anywhere um you know and, and anybody who's looking for a podcast to listen they can really think about well, what do I want to add to my life today and there will be a podcast that that's that's out there for you that that can bring what you want to bring into your life it's kind of kind of an antidote to how negative a lot of the rest of social media is that can really mm-hmm. drag us down we, we can choose our podcast to lift us up yeah I mean I mean I think for me podcasts have completely changed my life and I think about it now even like with my mum and dad and I think um my dad my dad isn't with us anymore but he would have loved podcasts and the fact that you can learn and listen to so many different things and I've learned how to to write books and publish books all through podcasts you know so it's just like I think this is an again a really exciting world that we live in that if you say for example if you one decided you know I'd, I'd like to create stained glass windows or whatever it is I'm pretty sure you can find a podcast that will help you for free to do it and I, I just think that this is you know we do live in a in a very exciting world amidst all the doom and gloom there's a lot of excitement but I am surprised because I I wouldn't have thought they were scripted actually you saying that when I I always thought but you know I just thought you're so sort of well versed on your on what you're doing so and they are um the subjects and especially again like the people pleasing now people pleasing is something uh I know you said that you've been sort of very guilty of it in the past and I have and actually people pleasing isn't necessarily the kind thing that we think it is it's actually quite a negative thing isn't it that if you're then you become resentful and actually it's not really fair on the other person it's it's not fair on you it's not fair on the people around you but actually we have to sort of be able to be a bit uncomfortable and say and set our boundaries and just say no I'm not going to do that because it's not right to do that for all of us but that that episode I found very helpful as well that you can just take it then to apply yeah, I mean, the thing with um, people pleasing, I, I know I was guilty of it. The, the thing that really helped me kind of have a shift on it was I did some training in transactional analysis. So it's all about how people relate to each other. And I think the point was made there that for you to be the rescuer, which in people pleasing, a lot of the time we are, you know, we're sorting everybody else out, solving everybody else's problems, doing everything to, to help them. But for you to be a rescuer, that means the other person has to be a victim. Mm. You know, it's it's not a grown up adult to adult kind of communication. And, and that really made me stop and think. Cause I thought, well, I don't want anybody else to be a victim. Mm. Um, but it kind of made me see what was wrong with that kind of dynamic. And and the, the trouble is, if, if, you, if you're too much into saying yes to what everybody asks of you, if you lack boundaries, um, it's like we were talking about before. It's you, you're giving away of, of yourself all the time without ever stopping to fill yourself up. And there are times when it is kinder to not just say yes to everything that's asked of you, but actually to stop and pause and think about, is this what's right for me right now? Is this what's right for 
the person who's who's asking me because the trouble is if you're always solving other people's problems when do they ever learn to solve their own problems mm. you know it's like you're taking away the, the the chance for them to do that by you always being the, the person who sorts stuff out so i think if if you are somebody who tends to say yes 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 all the time and be a real people pleaser i, th- I think it's, it's useful having a few kind of stock phrases up your sleeve like um let me just think about that okay I, w- I won't say yes right now I'll go and check my diary so giving yourself a little time to pause and think about is this a commitment that you want to take on um or is it not because the, the other way to think about it is every on switch is also an off switch every time you say yes to someone else effectively you're saying no to something else you're probably saying no to yourself to your own wants and needs and particularly at this time of year when there are a million and one things taking our our attention our energy I think you have to be quite careful about what you say yes to and what what you say no to because you'll just end up drained and no happier at at the end of the day I I, you know you, you never find somebody who admits that they're a people pleaser and thinks that it's brilliant and it makes them a happier person with with better um, self-esteem. I think very often with um, people pleasing that the heart of that, I know the heart of that for me was a feeling of not being enough, Mm. that somehow um, if, if if you keep giving, giving of yourself that you will become more within yourself. Well, of course, it doesn't work like that. You just end up completely drained. At, at the end of it so I have to keep reminding myself that yes I am enough and I do not need to keep rushing into trying to please other people in order to convince myself of that mm-hmm. oh it's just yeah I think it's a game changer I think it's an absolute game changer because like you say you think oh you kind of brought up or we just live in a world with oh you say yes to everything and oh it makes makes you a you know a good person or you try, like you say go and fix and rescue but actually it's not necessarily quite like that it's different if you really are just want to help somebody out but but done in a from a place that you really want to not because you feel you should and say then you become resentful but I, I find it fascinating I really do I would talk about Christmas in just a moment uh Joan but um do you think you know given as well when uh, with the start of this conversation when you said about growing up in Belfast and then obviously everything that you saw with your brother. Um, and then when you were working TV, that feeling of not feeling like you're really sort of taking part in something that is changing lives. Do you have that feeling now that 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 you, you know, especially with your background and you must, you know, you obviously have so much empathy uh, that you are really, d- does it feel fulfilling the work that you're doing now? It's hugely fulfilling. It's the best, best thing. Because generally speaking, um, in a coaching session, you start, you start, start the session with there will be something going on with the client there'll be a reason why they're sat in front of you and want to speak to you today and you pretty much always end it in a much much better place because the big thing with coaching is it's about identifying action that you can take and then um getting the, the client to commit to what action they are going to take and of course it's in it's in taking the the action that that we see some kind of changes. So coaching is not about me as the coach giving the client homework. I think there's maybe a popular image um, that um, life coaching, career coaching is all about some great big charismatic individual telling you how you should live your life. It's not that at all. It's about very deep, empathetic listening and questioning to help the client see what they need to do next and then I I generally say to them okay we've talked about lots of things that you could do what can you tell me that you will do and they'll they'll say you know whether it's um you know investigate a new job start writing that book they always meant to write whatever is the thing the thing that they um intended to do and then i usually speak to clients every couple of weeks maybe once a month i say okay by the time we next speak what can you tell me that you will have done by then and i'm always really um I've, like I've got, I've got my my ears turned up to maximum because i'm listening out for the words that they use because if somebody says 
well, I'll try and do this. I'll try and get that chapter finished. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Try is the kind of word that we throw out when we want to make it sound like we're going to do something. We're maybe being a bit people pleasy. So it sounds like we're on the uh, things that we say we're going to try and do. Um, they just don't really happen, do they? Or yeah. things that you feel you should do. Shoulds are other people's goals. Shoulds don't happen either. But if you say, I will do that, this thing, that has more of a power to it. And that becomes something that um, is definitely going to happen. So I, I would invite you to try that after we've, we've uh, finished speak. Think about something that you are intending to do and then say to yourself, I'll try and do that. Yeah, I should do that. I will do that. They're completely different energies and intentions. And, you know, you, you can you can work out which of those is actually going to happen. Yeah, you're so right. You're absolutely right. I work with a coach and actually the last session I had with her, her name's Renee and I've interviewed her on this podcast. And it was actually, um, it was quite, I wouldn't say tough session. She's she's brilliant as, as, I'm, as I'm sure you are as well. That, but she, she sort of sparked something in me because it was all about thinking small and feeling small. And I just published my my fourth book and and it was just the way exactly what you were saying there the way I was talking and I could I could fit and she was like Ellie when is this going to stop you know you if you are proud of your work and you should be proud of your work you want to get it out in the world because there's people who want to see your work um and all this this you know we think we're being I don't know what the word is but you're you shrink and Oh, you don't want to put too much on social media because you, oh, it looks like you're being a bit braggy or you're selling. And she was like, and that, you know, that's complete. Again, that's kind of going a bit in the people pleasing. Oh, I want everyone to like me thing. But actually, you're, if, you've, if I've got a book that I think is going to really help someone, then it's my job to make sure that that person sees that book isn't it it's it's letting go of all this false um pretense and feeling very small all the time I think it's it's about connecting I mean I I really understand what you're saying I think that's a very common um thing with writers that we love the writing part of the work but of course being a professional writer the actual physical getting the words down on page is only a very small part of the whole job and then we've got the dreaded marketing which you know none of us likes but you have to do so I personally I ban the word marketing and I would invite you to ban that and instead think about connecting connecting the people who would enjoy your books the people who could benefit from your books the people for whom they would read one of your books and feel happier in their day you want to connect to those people because they can't benefit from what you do if they don't know that it exists yeah it's 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 as simple as that so you give so you can't really sell it to them it's up to them they they want to buy it they will borrow it from the library yeah whatever they do but you can help to make them aware that it it exists and then they've got the potential to benefit from it and that's the same for anyone listening who's contemplating any different kind of next chapter that you know everyone's got their own unique uh, gifts and we've had this before you know like if you want to say be a florist well there's there's however many florists but there's never going to be a florist just like you so again it's going back into like what you're saying being really true to yourself really really honest channeling your own energy into it and then finding the person who that is going to absolutely make their day if they're going to you know have a bunch of flowers designed by you or you you know it's you're you're holding back your special unique gifts from people who really really would benefit from them absolutely I I think uh, I think there's there's, um, a saying in one of my books I think I said said something like um, everyone has a light to shine but your glow is unique and um, why why wouldn't you let that shine but also I think um, as parents as mothers we know how much our children absorb um, from who we are. They, they don't really take in the words you say to them, but they do do take in how you behave and, and who you are. So we're walking around as role models to them. There's many studies that, that have um, proven that um, parents are a child's greatest role model. Even if a parent is absent, that still becomes a huge thing in, in that child's life. So I think you've also got, got to think about what am I modelling here in terms of uh, my behaviour? You know, would, would uh, what kind of vision of of how 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 a woman is, how a writer is, how how a person is out in the world? What what am I giving to 
those, those around me who who are absorbing that mm. and I think that can often really um focus your thoughts and and you know give us a little bit of a kick up the backside to step into that role model that that you already are and show show your kids that actually being proud of what you've done and being proud of shining your light is a good thing to do. Yeah, it really is. Oh, Joe, honestly, I could I could talk to you about a week about all of this. It's amazing. And we will come back to your books in just a moment. Um, but just for you to move on, for your to be continued, I mean, you've written eight books, you've got your brilliant podcast, your coaching, it sounds like, and you really have created an absolute life that, that, you, that you love, which is, again, what this podcast is all about, sort of encouraging people to do. I mean, is that what would you like to do next for your to be continued do you know Ellie no matter what stage in life I get to so I'm turning 55 this weekend I always just feel like I'm getting warmed up yeah it's funny I was talking to somebody recently who's also over 50 and they were talking about themselves as being over the hill and I'm like you know yeah that's all right for you mate but I'm just getting, I'm going. Just getting warmed up yeah so I've, so I've always got lo- loads of things that that I, I want to do I'm, I'm it's so um makes me so happy to hear how much you're getting out of the podcast. I'd love to grow it and grow it. I, I said to my husband the other day, I, I, I wish 10 times more people were listening. And as I said that, I could feel myself have a little energy boost. And I thought, yeah, no, that maybe that's my thing to mm. um, grow and grow the podcast um, as much as I can, because I really love doing it. And I do think that it, it has a lot of potential to, um, you know, change people's lives positively Mm. I I would like to write more books I feel like I've got more books in me the recent books I've been doing have all been quite short word counts because I'm I'm sure you've seen they're kind of they're designed as gift books they're designed to be a gift for yourself or or a gift to somebody else Um, but I I feel like um, I'd maybe like to do something where there's um, there's just more words and you can expand um, a little bit more. So I'd like to do that. I'd like to do more events and public speaking. I, I, this year was the first time in, in a few years that I'd done speaking in a room to real live people um, after a few years of doing all that stuff on Zoom. And I will admit, I get terrified in mm-hmm. public speaking. I, I, you know, I, I have sleepless nights for weeks. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I get very, very anxious about speaking in, in public. But I still do it because I've always been a very much a feel the fear and do it anyway type of person. If I feel afraid of doing something, to me, that's just that's a bump in the road that I've got to navigate. I'm not going to stop it. Um, let me um, get into where, where I'm I'm going to go. And I certainly have no intention of letting my fear uh, define my life or keep it smaller um as I might have done in the past so although I am terrified about public speaking I would please like to do some more of that and I th- I think also I'd like to get an agent I've done all the done all these books and stuff I've never I've never had an agent I'm sort of feeling like yeah I could do with some people a team I've been doing a thing this year where on the first of every month, I, I go outside the house because I work from home. I go elsewhere and I sit down and have a meeting with myself. I get my diary out and I, I think about what were the highlights of the previous month? What did I learn from the previous month? What am I going to do next? And I always say to my husband, I'm going for a meeting with my team. Yeah. But my team is just me. But I'm kind of thinking next chapter, yeah, I, I probably need some more kind of uh, people to bounce bounce things off I guess I love that that's such a good idea that is such a good idea to go and have a meeting with yourself but then so how have you been doing your books because I just because you you do your books with a publisher though don't you yes I mean the the initial um title and uh the um sort of the format of the book comes from the publisher because they're so heavily designed those two things have to go hand in hand so I get um, a kind of a flat plan from the publisher and it will tell me um, there needs to be a quote here there needs to be a short tip here that's 50 to 100 words two page tip here that's 100 to 200 words all of that suits me really well because I do think I'm quite good at um, writing about complicated things in, in a compact easily digestible kind of way and I, I really enjoy the part of it that's 
gathering all the quotes. You know, I, I sit and sort of gather quotes that are relevant to the theme of the book. And I make a point of them being 50-50 men and women um, and, uh, you know, a good sprinkling of of diverse voices, voices from history, voices from the present day. I think all, all of that sort of really... Um, just is a nice thing to include within there. So I have a certain framework that I'm working to. And then when I deliver the words, then then the publisher takes over from there and they do the design part around it, which I'm not really involved in, but they're really, really good. Um, mm. Somersdale, my publishers, they produce some really beautiful well-being books. I think sometimes with gift books, people assume that maybe the content isn't there, that it's just going to kind of look like a nice package. But actually, um, you know, the books they produce really do have a lot to them. And I'm really proud to say that they've got some of their books in boots. I know. This year. That's amazing. Isn't that wild? They've I literally know. got about five books in boots, of which one of which is my book about it. how to find joy. And I'm so delighted with that because, you know, you think of the, the millions of books that are published and they've picked out five and and there you go. I'm in there. I just that's the thing. I, I wouldn't even have thought to have that as as a dream, but it does feel like a bit of a dream come true. Yeah. It's, and that's when I because I've been following you for a long time, Jan, and I wanted to talk about Christmas through Will in just a moment. But, you know, the fact that you're there in boots and it's being, you know, this is you're helping people. And did it, did you approach the publisher or did the how did you meet the publisher? So initially, I emailed them to introduce myself. I had done a few books previously with a very small publisher. Um, one of which, actually, one, one of the earlier books that I did uh, is called How to Overcome Fear of Driving. And that is that was published over 10 years ago. And it is still kind of out there in, in the world and mm-hmm. is probably one of my proudest achievements. That the, the thousands of people who have overcome their fear of driving um because of my book and I wrote that um because I had a terrible fear of driving this going back to what I was saying about letting fear control your life Mm. for years I didn't I didn't drive for seven years um because um you know I I was too scared to and so I'm I'm not doing that again I'm I'm not letting fear control my life again but I basically I I knew that I wanted to work with a a bigger publisher and, and reach more people so I always had my eye out for something i think generally if if you're um new or not that well established in in writing um anytime something changes let's say an agent moves to a new agency or there's a new imprint opens something like that there'll be more opportunities so i think i saw somewhere that um my publisher summersdale had a kind of an open call that you could um introduce yourself so i emailed them said, hey, this is me. I've written a few things. I've got a lot of strong background in in coaching. So basically that I had the professional expertise as a coach, but I could also write. So I sent this off and I'm constantly doing this. I I, I think of this as planting seeds. I I think it's quite an important thing to do, particularly when you're self-employed. You constantly plant seeds. You never know which of those seeds are going to blossom and bloom and which are going to just wither and and nothing comes of them but you have to keep planting those seeds so I heard nothing back and then a few months later I was having a very quiet Monday nothing much happening and somehow instinctively I thought I'll just go and look in my spam folder and you know things are not going well when you're kind of reduced to looking in your spam folder (laughs) thinking something fantastic is going to be in there but sure enough in the spam folder was an email from a publisher at Somersdale saying uh, or oh, we received your email and we've got this book called, that we're looking to do called Change Your Life in Five Minutes a Day. Would you you seem right for it? Would you like to do it? Mm. And and then there was another email from them sent three weeks later saying, oh, we're just checking if you got our first email. Because oh, no. they sometimes go into spam. Ah. Luckily for me, I knew that publishing tends to move quite slowly much more slowly than the world of live tv mm. you know you know what it's like in live you don't mm. you don't answer a phone call there and then it's gone yeah publishing's not like that so luckily for me i was able to get back to them and say oh yes yes you know i think i think Joanne, anyone listening to this i mean like what you're saying there you're like you're planting seeds which i think that's just such a great way of looking at it but it's I think somebody would be probably quite surprised to think that you, you know, as a coach, as doing your podcast, you've written eight books, 
um, your books in boots that you still do struggle, you know, with fear that like you're saying about the public speaking and getting out there a bit more. But that's that's the that's the point, isn't it? That we all have this fear and it's not a case of eliminating the fear. It's a case of knowing it's there and working around it and doing things anyway. And that's what people who do achieve what they want to do. That's that's what they've done because they feel the fear as well. Absolutely. I mean, uh, why would you not feel fear? I, th- I think probably... Um, the main learning point and growth that maturity is, has given me or getting older is just to be more comfortable with the fear. And I, I think of fear and other negative things in, in your life. Um, I, I My approach is to try and embrace it like a friend and use it like a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can take that sort of positive approach to the things that might try and um drag you down then you know you you're always going to be successful because it, it it can't really touch you um so yeah i i i acknowledge that fear exists a bit, a bit like anxiety you know i've experienced anxiety off and on um throughout my life at, at different times it's not it's not a big deal for me now but given that it's being consistently present in many times, it's probably going to come back again at some time. That's okay, you know. I, I, I you know, I all, all I can do is um, work on myself and and try and keep myself fit and well and healthy in body and mind, um, so that when more challenging times come along, when, when times of anxiety and fear and sadness and grief and all the things we have to deal with, that you're sort of more fit to deal with those things mm. because you're, you're already um you know worked on yourself mm. in in the meantime yeah so you know I, I i i think it's very difficult if not impossible to be fearless if somebody talks about being fearless i think well they're just not looking around enough you know because because the world is a, a scary place and there's challenges that come all the time I, th- I think this was kind of something that came out for me when I was working on the book about being calm, I, I, you realise that stress is already present in our lives every single day. Even if your life is super chilled and sorted out and everything's going fine, there will always be a source of stress coming from elsewhere. I mean, the, the pandemic is probably the, the biggest example of that in in recent years. So you have to take care of yourself. You have to look for calm to... to um, become a calmer person in yourself in order to deal with the stress that life is inevitably going to bring to your door yeah absolutely and when you when you say fear as well that 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 also means i think um correct me if i'm wrong joanne but it means like self-doubt it means that that like what i was talking about earlier the shrinking and the keeping small and the not being honest with yourself that's that kind of how I understand it, maybe even sometimes a bit of anger underneath, underneath all of this, that it kind of falls in, that is all forms of different fear, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's, I, I find all that stuff, um, it's quite interesting. It, it, one of the big differences between coaching and therapy is in coaching, you never ask why, because why is an analysis question and it's about kind of digging into the past and where things have come from and that can be in- incredibly useful um but it's just not what we do in coaching in coaching we ask what because coaching is about the future and it's also about maybe looking to see what you can take that's good from your past and take it in- into the future so if i feel fear if i feel anxious about something i often ask myself that question what what is that all about what is going on there with me um or sometimes what is it really about because you know what it's like when you can feel fearful of one thing but actually it's about something else completely different Mm -hmm. that's gone on in in your life um and I think acknowledging uh the part you play and how you feel about things is important it's it's like um, you know people talk about things pressing their buttons um Mm. but something can only press your buttons if you have those buttons in the first place so it can be quite an interesting thing to ask yourself what button is this pressing with me what 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 is this really all about um if i've become angry or fearful or whatever the emotion might be yeah it's about taking this is something i've learned i've just sort of done lots and lots of therapy and i've just i've just come to the end of it for now but 
you know, just that's what I've learned is that it's absolutely, you know, people might do things or act in a way you might not like, but actually it, however frustrating it may be it does all come down to us taking responsibility for ourselves in our own and like you say looking for the part that we've played in it not saying you take responsibility for somebody else's behavior but a lot and you're not blaming yourself no no it's not that either but it's actually if you keep just always blaming others you're also that's not really helping you either as well is it it's it's just working out like exactly in a kind way saying what is this all about Absolutely, because you you can't change or control how another person behaves. You can only really change how you behave, how 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 you approach things. You know how how you've dealt with whatever your stuff is, um, and so being aware of your own stuff is quite um, is quite a useful thing to do, mm. I think. But it's it's just such a waste of energy to you know get get wound up about how other people are behaving. You know, let them behave how they behave, yeah. and you pay attention to how you are in in the world. Yeah, it's so true. So, so for your acknowledgements, Jan, who are the people that you would like to thank who have helped you along the way to get here where you are now? Which to me sounds like a fabulous place. Well, you know, I'd really like to thank my children. Um, they're now 20 and 23 and they're just such lovely, lovely young people in the world and such a great sense of joy for me. You know, they're, they're both really kind, caring, intelligent, creative, just, just really delightful. And, and I'm very happy to kind of where we've got with, with, with our relationship that we all kind of choose to spend time together and, and get on really well. It's funny, I went to see a comedian last night and he was a guy in his 30s and he was talking about having kids and saying that he didn't want to have kids because it really looked like too much hard work. But what he'd really like to do is fast forward through to being 50 and having a 20 year old son that he could hang out with. And I left with my husband and I said, look, we're living the dream here. You know, we've got to that point where you don't have to get up at night and you don't have all the kind of multitude of exhausting crap to deal with. You just have a couple of really nice people um, in your life. So definitely acknowledge them. Definitely acknowledge my husband, John, who is also a writer. We both work from home. So he's up in the living room. I'm down in the basement. Um, We write quite different kind of stuff. He writes nonfiction, um, kind of cultural history sort of things. But we are each other's first reader, first editor, sounding board. You know, it's really, really useful to have just somebody close by who you trust, um, you can talk to about what you're doing and let them read. You know how vulnerable that moment mm. feels when somebody else first reads something that you've written. Mm. Um, that, that's quite a scary thing. So knowing that you've got somebody who cares about, about you and who is kind, but also knows about writing and knows about what makes a piece work and, and what doesn't. Um, and will tell you that, that that's a really, really useful thing. So look, I'm going to pause here, but in the next part, Joanne gives some wonderful advice specifically about Christmas, as well as what to do if you're feeling a bit stuck. But she tells us how we can all cope with overwhelm, what to do about tricky relatives, and how the festive season can be different for us all, and this is absolutely okay. But in the meantime, what next? Well, I'm going to stop saying should, and I love this. Sow the seeds to see what grows. I will give this a try, and I hope you will too. Now, you can find Joanne and her wonderful work on her website. The link is in the show notes. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Empire Fighting Chance, the boxing charity transforming young lives and our cities too. I'm so proud they're also supporting the work we're doing here. So, Part two will be here next week. Get ready for some brilliant tips. But in the meantime, go on, sow those seeds. I think you can do it and Joanne does too. Speak soon.